Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. I'm Kimberly, fully vaccinated Johnson in D.C. Today, my guest is Grant Stern. Grant is an author and a radio broadcaster. He writes for two national news columns, one at the Washington Press by Occupy Democrats, and he also does investigatory reporting at the Stern Facts. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have heard of Occupy Democrats. God knows I am. <laughs> I have been aware of them since at least 2012. I'm really looking forward to talking to Grant, but before I do, I always try to keep these intros short. I do have a tier on Patreon that allows listeners to listen ad-free and with a much shorter intro. The Start Me Up podcast is an independent Independent podcast supported by listeners and it's woman run. It's patrons who keep the show going. If you enjoy today's conversation, take a look at the about page. Check out some of my past guests. You'll see most of the time I talk to political people, but occasionally I interview actors because I used to be one. Just visit patreon.com slash start me up. I do two free shows a week, Mondays and Wednesdays, and they're followed up by What's Up with Me, a show for patrons only after each free show. Check out the variety of tier options at patreon.com slash start me up. You can make a one time donation by checking out the text in the Patreon description. I've included a link that allows you to donate through PayPal. You can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Just stop by the iTunes slash Apple podcast store, become a subscriber. It's free. And while you're there, please rate the show and leave me a review. I would really appreciate it. Now, please enjoy my conversation with Grant Stern. Welcome to the show, Grant. Thanks for having me, Kimberly. How are you? I'm good. Uh, You know, I mean, I have been aware of Occupy Democrats for a long ass time. And I've also been aware of you for a long ass time, but we've never actually, I mean, we've like shared each other's tweets and things like that, but we've never said hello. So this is the first time. So hello, so good to have you here. <laughs> hello, thanks for having me here. It's uh, it's great to be here. You know, I've been aware of Occupy Democrats longer than most people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay, why don't you just begin by telling everybody about yourself? like? Talk about your books and what you do, and then also what you do with Occupy Democrats. So, uh, everything would take a long time. <laughs> okay. But, <laughs> but uh, a short summary is that I'm an advocacy journalist. Uh-huh. I'm an investigative journalist, a professional mortgage broker, and I still own my mortgage company here in South Florida that really uh, supports the, the whole cause. Right. And I'm also... Uh, a longtime radio broadcaster. Um, I'm trying to actually set up some digital radio stations these days, go mm-hmm. off the the airwave, uh, shake a pole kind of radio. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, also I just do a lot of political activity. I'm a senior advisor to the Democratic Coalition. Um, wow, that's cool. Yeah, so it's it's busy life. <laughs> but I, 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 think, I think it's very rewarding. Um I report on national issues, uh, you know, state and local issues that are national um, here in Miami, Florida, where I'm from. And I'm coming to you live from Miami Podcast Studios. <laughs> uh, Miami Podcast Studios is my latest venture here. Awesome. And it's something that I hope to bring to more cities down the road, maybe, mm-hmm. perhaps. And, uh, you know, it's uh, what can I say? Uh, <laughs> jack of all trades, but master of quite a few of them, actually. <laughs> And on top of everything, last week, it was your birthday. So happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. 44. Wow, still you're so kicking. young. You're still so young. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So what, you know, I mean, I have a whole bunch of things that we can talk about today. But I'm just curious as to 
what is going on? Oh, first of all, you live in Florida, and I can't even imagine what that must be like right now with the spike of COVID and how it must feel. I mean, I don't know where I, I'm sh- I would imagine you're vaccinated, but that's still a scary situation um, to be living in a state where you're seeing this huge spike of of cases. At least people who are vaccinated aren't dying. But we don't know if there's going to be long term because there's okay. people are confusing long term effects with long COVID. There's long COVID or I think I can't remember. I think that's what they call long haulers where they get it. Right. Long COVID. Right. Where it just doesn't go away. Symptoms don't abate. Right. And then there's you can there like before vaccination, people would get it and maybe they'd they'd either be asymptomatic or they would just have a mild case. And then three months down the line, shit would start happening, whether it's cognitive issues, whether it's erectile dysfunction. Um, so how are you navigating through Florida with this? I mean, what what's the feel down there? So the feel down here is weird. Um, it is Florida. I'm a native. <laughs> so um, it is weird, weird as hell. I mean, there are two Floridas here. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's be real. There's yeah. the vaccinated Florida. Um, my voting precinct chose uh, Andrew Gillum and his ticket right, 80% yeah. to 20%. Mm-hmm. So most of the people in my neighborhood here are vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're just starting to see breakthrough cases come yeah. into our area and they're pretty limited because mm-hmm. we're all vaccinated here. Right. I mean, this is blue, 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 blue Florida, like yeah. my little neck of the woods where I live. But the rest of Florida, I mean, Disney just put the mask mandate back up, hmm. you know. Um, I'm sure that in North Florida, it's it's just spreading like wildfire and they don't care. And yeah. and I can tell you that because um, and I, I really, you know, I, I'll discuss it on a podcast, um, but I, I really haven't put it out on the Twitters. <laughs> um, but I actually did have COVID last summer during the first wave in Florida. Oh, wow. And. And for that reason, I have a little bit of peace of mind now, Mm -hmm. but it was terrifying last year. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I went through this exact same Florida surge Mm -hmm. last year and got it, and it was horrible. I mean, I didn't have a bad case. My girlfriend did have a bad case, but she's a a immunologist and science researcher, and so she went and, well, she diagnosed herself pretty well Mm -hmm. and got amazing treatment uh, very early, and even though she had what for most people would have been a severe case, she had double COVID pneumonia. Um, and we were deeply worried. I mean, everything, you know, like older relatives. I mean, it, the you name it. Mm-hmm. Every kind of worry you could possibly have, mm-hmm. uh, we, we had it last year. And and that's one of the worst parts about the illness, which is the, you know, the, the just the anxiety of it, yeah. you know, and the fear, the fear of the unknown. And so I was very fortunate. I didn't have any long-term effects like, like Alyssa Milano did. Right. Um but but right now, I mean, there are people here who are running around without vaccines, oh and they just they think it's you know cool to wait. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've really taken up this partisan narrative, and I'm not talking about people like a million miles away from where I'm sitting right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe like three or four miles west of where I'm sitting, Florida's uh, third largest city is Hialeah, Florida. <clears throat> and if you recall, during the initial COVID shock, uh, if you recall them, you know, the people lined up looking for unemployment in Florida, mm-hmm. that was there. Mm-hmm. And that's a heavily Republican city that Trump heavily, heavily promoted. And in my own city, in my own hometown, I can tell you there's a giant problem. There's yeah. misinformation 
in the Spanish language media that is so pervasive that they're just going to be thousands and thousands of unnecessary deaths, younger people. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really scary. Could you explain um, what I'm, you know, my brother had COVID and I always ask people like, what does it feel like? And I mean, he told me, I think he had a fairly mild case and he said he, it kind of felt like bronchitis. What did it, what did it feel like for you saying you had like a mild case, but your girlfriend had the, what did you call it? Double COVID pneumonia or something? Double COVID pneumonia. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, what does that feel like? Well, she had it, so she'd have to tell you what that feels right. like, but I would say probably very not good. And Oof. it did not feel very good for me as, as her boyfriend. Yeah. And I mean, that would be so person scary. who was deeply worried about everything. I mean, we, we basically had to spend most of that our illness apart in isolation, yeah. um, so it was torturous. Yeah. Um, not knowing if she was going to be okay, you know, she has uh, some real conditions, like underlying conditions. Mm-hmm. I don't, um, you know, it, it was it was bad. I mean, I mean, did the, you feel the anxiety like... was was terrible, and the the mind fog is real. I mean, wow. I I felt foggy for. Mm, you know, like right when the symptoms started, I started feeling more foggy. And then mm-hmm. like, I didn't feel okay for two, three weeks last summer. Wow. Know? And now like did, was... did you feel like, was it like a bronchitis kind of thing too with uh, congestion in your chest? Well, that's the thing. I, I got a very mild set of symptoms. Mm-hmm. So I lost my sense of smell mm-hmm. and taste and, you know, I had a cold. I mean, it was like, you know, Monday I started sneezing and then passed out uh, in the afternoon, just wow. like passed out. And then by Friday it, it receded, mm-hmm. you know, my, mm-hmm. my immune system fought it off. Um, but like I said, this brain frog s- stayed for quite a while. Wow. It, was, it was really, that's so really scary. creepy. How long did it take for your girlfriend to get better? Uh, I would say that it took about three months. Oh my God. That's awful. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She, she had respiratory problems for quite a while. Yeah. Um, and I mean, now she's actually participating in, well, running a, uh, you know, uh, she's running a, a study with, uh, the CDC uh-huh. on long COVID. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, it's like, you know, I, I, because of that, like, it's something, you know, not just as a uh, national news, but it's just like what she's doing. I mean, we don't talk about the study so much, but mm-hmm. we talk about COVID and what's happening with that all the time. And, um, I mean, the long haulers are like 10% of the original first wave. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. millions of Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why Joe Biden uh, covered them under the ADA. Right. And thank God he did mm-hmm. because they, they deserve coverage. They need oh, coverage. God. I mean, it's just, it's all so freakish. I mean, I just posted there, there was an article, um, I think it came out in January by history.com and it was that SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States issued a landmark 1905 ruling that legitimized the government's authority to reasonably infringe upon personal freedoms during a public health crisis by issuing a fine to those who refused a vaccination. I think at the time the fine was $10. So I think at this, you know, if you were going to pull it up to today's inflation rates and whatnot, it would probably be 150 to $200, which I think a lot of people would probably pay uh, if, you know, they're so hell-bent on not getting vaccinated. But do, do you, like, what I'm thinking is, what I'm seeing happening is, like, for instance, last week we saw the NFL started putting all these rules and restrictions on people and players who are not getting vaccinated. 
So like if I th- and I'm not sure about this, but I think the way that it goes is like if your team has to forfeit a game because somebody has COVID, then you automatically lose. And then I, I don't know if there was fines, but there's some kind of issue that um, negatively affects the team. So that's creating more players getting vaccinated. And what I'm thinking is with this Delta variant on the rise, we're going to see more people missing work because they're sick and dying and it's going to cost businesses money. And I'm wondering if that's what's going to cause a mandate. Do you think, at least for, you know, in some instances in businesses, how do you see this Delta variant playing out in, you know, in the idea of, do you think it's going to lead basically to um, whether it's restaurants or businesses or hotels demanding that people prove that they're vaccinated? You know, I, I wish it would. I would. I wish there was a private vaccine passports uh, passport system right now Mm -hmm. i live in florida with the pro-covid anti-mask governor Mm -hmm. and you know large states have their own pull in the governance of america Mm -hmm. and i think the greatest example is always california yeah california is always throwing its weight around as a state government that can set standards right Mm -hmm. and um this is something that it's just not going to happen here in Florida where I, I live because the Republicans legislated it. I mean, yeah. you know how tough it is to put something into law. It's even more difficult to take it out of law. Right. Right. I mean, it just is because legislators don't like admitting that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Unless of course, in Florida, that means removing reserve requirements from condominiums. Right. And we see how that worked out. Mm-hmm. That's how our Republican majority in the both houses of our state house in Florida works. And so that's going to make it very tough for the entire country. Mm-hmm. It really is. Um, you know, Florida's a big state. We're the third largest state in America. So when you have a governor who's set on being president mm-hmm. doing this, mm-hmm. you're not going to get a lot of state governments that are going to follow along. Yeah. You know, oh. and, and really it's the states that have a, the most power. The mm-hmm. state governors have immense powers in these kind of things. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I said, with the Republicans being hell bent against it, um, I, I just don't know that we're going to see vaccine passports until enough people have died mm-hmm. that even Republicans decide that it's better not to kill people. You know, I was just, I was just telling somebody not long ago this: we're gonna, you're gonna see two partisan sides of America each reach herd immunity. Mm-hmm in two different ways. Democrats are already there. Okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, the Democratic Party has herd immunity. If you had a DNC convention, right. you wouldn't need a mask. <laughs> right. All right? But the Republicans are determined to reach herd immunity on the original plan, which was flawed last year, the plan that uh, Scott Atlas became the front man for, mm-hmm. and he took that on to Fo- from Stanford to Fox News to the White House, And that is the herd immunity plan, right? Herd immunity is what you achieve through vaccination, but they decided we're going to try for herd immunity without vaccines. Mm -hmm. And millions and millions of people are going to be sickened for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions, will die. I I just don't see how the disinformation climate that we live in is going to result in any other thing because, Hmm. you know, Republicans have just all out they've become like the chinese communist party yeah uh, the chinese communist party is pro private more pro private business than the republican party today wow. and that's pretty fucking scary 
Oh my! I mean, it's it's my, why do you why are they purposely in, in, intentionally because all these people like Randis, Ron DeSantis and um, Ted Cruz or whoever it is, we know they've been vaccinated, and they know what they're saying is a lie. What I don't understand is how does it? I I just can't understand how they. Uh, they have to see that it would be their constituents that are going to pay the price, whether it's getting sick. And I mean, I understand the argument like they can blame it on Biden. But what about the dead people? The dead people aren't going to blame it on anybody and they're not going to be there to vote. And the thing is, is that even though we have a lot of Republicans in in our country, we have more Democrats. And I know that we're on electoral thing, but they need every fucking vote they can get. And what what is the logic is it just simply to be against what Democrats want? Is that it? So when you look for logic in a place of insanity, <laughs> um, it may make you the insane one right, over exactly. time. And be careful with that. You know, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> somebody asked me to explain the actions of a crazy person. Yeah. And, and I just said, uh, honey, you know crazy does what crazy does yeah. don't try to rationalize it if you do aforementioned but um I, i'm gonna just say like the four words that should encapsulate the like why the republican party uh you know does not give a fuck mm -hmm. about you know its voters dying americans dying our neighbors dying our friends of different political persuasions dying for those persuasions and um and it boils down to this right Governor Mike Pence of Indiana, I'm sorry, vice president, former vice president, but former right. uh, Republican representative from Indiana, mm -hmm. Mike Pence, uh, once wrote an op-ed. This is mm -hmm. 20 years ago now. Mm -hmm. You know, this is two decades before he became the head of the coronavirus task force. He wrote an op-ed in the Indy Star that said, smoking does not kill. Oh, my God. It is who they are. Yeah. It is always who they have been. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as Democrats, we're like all obsessed with things like coming out, being your true self. Right. Well, Republicans came out as their true selves a long time ago. Mm -hmm. People just refused to believe it. They said, that's an extremist. They're not the real Republicans. Yeah. But the truth is, is that they behave like a death cult. And it, this is not a new thing. These people are taking money. For whatever it is, if they think they're going to get money, they will throw somebody's life into the grinder without a second thought. Yeah. It's, it's just that oh, that simple. Smoking does not kill. What could make somebody say that in 2001? Right. Yeah. The, uh, money. Yeah. Philip Morris. Money. <laughs> death cult. Philip Morris. Yeah. Uh, you know, all of the above. And by the way, big tobacco they were a huge source of disinformation too. Mm -hmm. They couldn't have survived without disinformation. Oh, we're going to put out alternative facts. Mm -hmm. Look, here's our study that we funded. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that we had our own scientists on. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Let me ask you, let me switch over because I mean, you live in Florida and I am kind of freaked out by Ron DeSantis and I've, I hear a lot of people say, Oh, well he only got 0.4% of the vote or whatever. And it's like, I don't give a shit how unpopular the guy is. If he, you know, if Trump is not the nominee, I think, you know, David Jolly basically said he thought 
it would for sure be Ron DeSantis. And I didn't know who Ron DeSantis was, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Now, of course, he scares the shit out of me. And I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if Trump, you know, I've, I've seen Steve Schmidt recently do a tweet thread and he says Donald Trump will absolutely be the nominee, but we don't know who it is. We're just looking right now at the numbers and it's between those two out of the pool of people those two have the biggest numbers. So what's your thoughts on Ron DeSantis? Do you think he's going to get the GOP nom? How frightened are you that he would be the president, not because he was popular, but because they cheat and they suppress? So those are two different questions. And let's, let's, let's handle the second one first, right? Okay. How concerning would a president Ron DeSantis be? And then we'll go back oh, yeah. to how likely is this to happen? Okay. How's that sound? Good. As How scary. Water. <laughs> yes. Let me just say, if you could imagine Trump with a lot more brains, mm -hmm. okay, and the ability to carry out whatever plan he's seeking to carry out, and all the other negative traits, mm -hmm. you'd have Ron DeSantis. Yeah. I mean, the man is smarter than Trump. Mm -hmm. He didn't go along with Trump by some miracle or accident. Okay, uh, my sources say that he's got some personal issues with Trump who uh, in their right mind wouldn't, but that's even more concerning because he is in his right mind right. and he's very methodical. Mm -hmm. uh, he's very uh, insular as a, a person. He, he keeps an incredibly small uh, inner circle. Um, there's no big leaks coming out of that circle compared mm -hmm. to the Trump White House, which was like a leak factory. Yeah. And... I can just tell you a little bit of a preview of some investigative journalism that I've been putting cool. together with, uh, <sighs> I think I'm up to nine or 10 lawsuits so far to wow. get the story. Um, and I really have to do some work on those, hmm. but, um, but Ron DeSantis, and this is not just Ron. I mean, I have more work to dig into to see how far back it goes, but I, I can tell you right now, that Ron DeSantis was using Florida Department of Law Enforcement, which is like the FBI of Florida. Mm -hmm. It's like the top state law enforcement. Every state has one of these, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, the Texas Rangers, for example. Could you imagine if, if uh, Governor Abbott got caught using the Texas Rangers to spy on political opponents? Wow. Well, not only did I catch the governor, but I got his office to admit it openly. Oh, my God. Okay. And that was the start of my reporting. And that's by email. They said, oh, we always do this. We work with lo local law enforcement regularly on this. And, you know, it's been a pretty crazy ride. Yeah. I've never filed 10 lawsuits in a couple of months before. Um. You know, I don't think most people have. No. I never expected to have to, but that's what it took just to get the Florida Department of Law Enforcement to even respond to me. Oh my so, God. yeah, if you're scared, yeah, be scared. Yeah. This man is using a high-level state law enforcement agency like his personal political hit squad. Mm -hmm. Okay? And I, I, I'm not going to tell the whole story because I, I've got a story that's coming out pretty soon mm -hmm. on my Substack. Uh, which is grantstern.substack.com. And that story will show how my lawsuits convinced them to change their policy to ban 
undercover political surveillance, ban getting involved in whistleblower and employment activities. Mm-hmm. Remind you of anybody? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And a whole host of other things, a whole host of other things that this agency should have been doing for years and they haven't been. Mm-hmm. So he's a scary guy. How likely is it to happen? Much more likely than people realize outside of Florida, mm-hmm. especially because Trump is going to run for president. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's 100%, whether he's yeah. sitting in a jail cell or not, he's running. Yes, I agree. Okay. The question is, uh, once he's sitting in a jail cell, will Ron DeSantis decide that his britches are big enough to fill the role? And I think the answer is yes. Yes. And And I think that given the choice between a jailed Trump and a free DeSantis, I think that the Republicans will make a sane choice. Mm-hmm. Okay? I mean, DeSantis has never attacked Trump, although they've had their spats. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've covered them up effectively. I mean, when you see, like, the stories like DeSantis uh, said Trump shouldn't do this rally, um, that's, like, the biggest leak you'll find hmm. from the DeSantis uh, crew. And that was one that they wanted. Okay? Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, people don't, you know, just record it now. Believe me later. Yeah. Republicans would vote for a free DeSantis over a jailed Trump because they'll see that he'll give them the best chance to win. Mm -hmm. So what do you think then um, are the chances that Trump would go to jail? I've asked this so many guests, but I just want to see what you have to say about it. You know. I'd say the chances are 100%, but it's all about timing. Mm-hmm. When, who could say? But there's just no way. There's no way that his behavior over the last 24 months is going to go unpunished. And what you're seeing happening up in New York, they already happened. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have indicted the CEO and the company if they didn't have Trump as well. Hmm. But they, like I, are prosecuting the case by attacking the the exterior to try and flip them on the inside parts you know like I, I filed suit against a local police agency because they had a document that showed that the FTLE was engaging in this political surveillance they had seen it and so I tried to force them to disclose it and we go to court and we're in court the middle of June and you know they're like your honor we, we refused to take a copy of it because this guy asked for it and <laughs> well, now we can't hand it to him. And, you know, he should ask the FDLE. The FDLE has this document. These documents are FDLE documents. And I was like, perfect. Hmm. And they said, uh, the judge said, well, what if, you know, should he request it from the FDLE? And they're talking about this in open court. Like they're talking about my case because I'm. I, this is the one case out of these 10, out of the any cases that I have in the, the court system right now that I'm just representing myself. Okay, mm-hmm. that's just one. Wow. Um, and and they're talking about you know it's really weird because they're talking about you right in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> and and by the way, I I have to say this: um, the city of Miami uh, attorney for this case is by far the most professional I've ever encountered from my hometown because hmm. I live in the city of Miami. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a regional government, Miami-Dade County. Um, most professional. I mean, this has been like an academic exercise almost, and it's never like that with these guys. Hmm. So, yeah, uh, so they're talking about this case in front of me. And the judge says, well, 
should he request it from FDLE? And they're like, yeah, I guess he, and the judge said, well, what if he did request it from FDLE? And I'm just sitting there not smiling because I had made the request to FDLE two weeks before that court hearing hmm. and they didn't give me the time of day. Right. Okay. And so my lawyers were working very diligently on filing suit against FDLE to get these records. And, you know, they just realized they'd been had. Like they pointed at FDLE and said, go get it, go yeah. get it. And I'm like, oh, well, if that's the case, then we will go get it from them. <laughs> and, and when the time came, um, we did actually get a significant amount of the information we're seeking from FDLE. And that's where we're at now. We, wow. We've received the first volley of information and now we're fighting to redact it. Mm -hmm. I mean, unredacted, excuse right, me, right, right, because right. Um, that's how it always is. You know, the government says, here's your document with a big black box on it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, wow. You know, the, the privacy issues at stake here are maximum. They are maximum. Mm -hmm. They are, you know, it's it's not unfair to say that, that this uh, story that I'm reporting, I just think of it, and, and this is not because Ron DeSantis started it, because I don't believe that he necessarily started, although he may have. Mm -hmm. I, I'm still researching and, and doing my homework. But uh, I, I just think of it personally as uh, Ron Intel Pro, kind of like wow. Co-Intel Pro. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get right back to this conversation in a minute, but first we got to take a quick break. Who doesn't love hanging out in loungewear? I mean, I live in it. <laughs> loungewear used to be code for hideously ugly sweats. I mean, even your pets were making fun of you. But that's a thing of the past with Cozy Earth. The people known for creating luxuriously soft cool sheets made from viscose from bamboo have done it again. They have taken loungewear to a whole nother level with their comfy super soft selections and gorgeous styles and colors. From wonderful pajama sets, leggings and tees, every item is sourced from earth-friendly viscose from bamboo for enhanced breathability and temperature regulation, which, if you're like me, postmenopausal is extremely important. You'll find something that you can't lounge without at Cozy Earth. See why Oprah described Cozy Earth pajamas as the softest ever in O Magazine. Best of all, go to CozyEarth.com now. Enter promo code Stephanie35 and save 35% on their loungewear and bedding. That's CozyEarth.com. Promo code Stephanie35. CozyEarth.com. And we're back. Um, let's see. Uh, Good I wanna, to be back. <laughs> I want to talk to you. I mean, I'm looking at all these different things that I've written down, and I'm trying to decide. But I want to talk to you about the indictments because, okay, we've seen Weisselberg get indicted and the Trump Corporation and all that. So um, do you – okay, and then the news that came out last week was that Trump wanted his DOJ – to say that the election was a corrupt election and that just leave it up to him and his Republican congressman. So I've had a lawyer on here before saying it would really, really, really be difficult to prove that he incited the ins in insurrection um, for legal reasons and all of that. And that most people believe, and now this wasn't the lawyer who said that, but like most people I've talked to believe he's if he does go to jail, it's going to be because of the tax fraud. So so with this new drop of information, we'll get to the tax fraud in a minute, but with this new drop of information, do you think that he, they're going to have a solid, you know, because they're going to have to have a solid case. It's got to be the, you know, 100% they've got them, just like you were saying earlier. Um, as far as the insurrection goes, do you think they're going to be able to do that and, and, and nail him for that? 
So let's let's start with the wor- insurrection and, and work our way out to the Al Capone territory. Sound good? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So insurrections, difficult to prove. Uh, you have to prove intent. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be a lot easier to prove that he was committing uh, election crimes, uh, like interstate election crimes, like trying to influence elections in other states. He sent Mark Meadows to another state. Right. He sent Mark Meadows from D.C. to Georgia for the purpose of influencing the election. And then he told prosecutors, hey, this election's corrupt. Just say it and we'll let our Republican congressman do the rest. Mm-hmm. This is not a difficult picture to put together right. for state prosecutors, for the, the Fulton County D.A.'s office. Right. Mm-hmm. Fulton County D.A. has this dead to rights. I don't know if I, I know that there's some federal laws that, uh, but I'm just not going to get too technical on it and just say that whatever federal law is applicable, you know, confessing your intent to the prosecutors probably a bad idea <laughs> because they make really good fact witnesses yeah. for some reason. It's as if <laughs> judges and courts listen to them. Yeah. So, you know, that's really like his dagger is Georgia. Georgia yeah. is the anvil. And of all the places to not do that, mm-hmm. uh, Georgia would probably be the one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Georgia is not a huge state. Okay, I lived in Atlanta for a couple of years myself, and it's a wonderful place. Um, I loved living there, uh, but you know I like the fresh air mm-hmm. and flat, <laughs> flat hill less territory of Miami a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like Miami traffic is terrible, but Atlanta traffic is like a- another. Like person in the room with you. Yeah. It's like a roommate. Um and and I can just tell you, like that that's the worst place to do it. There's there's an old saying about Georgia, right? And and I worked in Buckhead in the bar district when it was still a Buckhead bar district. And and we used to say that the saying was, went to Georgia on vacation, came home on probation. <laughs> Georgia yeah. was founded as a penal colony. Hmm. And I think that Sending you know the devil down there is probably mm-hmm. the best idea. Um, boy, it's just like I said. As soon as they decide to make the charging decision, and yeah. it's going to be a big one, all the facts and the law are on their side. Mm-hmm. It's going to be tough to see what he argues. Interesting, yeah. You know, how, how can Mark Meadows say he was acting in an official capacity, trying to influence an investigator from the Georgia uh, Secretary of State's oh, office? Yeah. And then passing the information directly along to the person who's on the ballot. <laughs> I just, oh, I, I, you know, if the, the, the key thing here is not, will they convict him of the insurrection, but rather, will the government just not defend him of all of his behavior, for all of mm. his behavior? And the answer is accepting with E. Jean Carroll, which is a travesty. And yes. I think that they should reverse their position immediately. Yes. Um, I, I think they should not. And I, the only comfort, the only small solace that I think E. Jean should take away from this, that from her a dreadful experience having to go through the Second uh, Circuit Court of Appeals mm-hmm. um, and, and, and possibly the Supreme Court uh, just to get a hearing, uh, you know, to get out of dismissal on her yeah. her uh, defamation suit. The, the one small solace is that she could wind up setting a massive, everlasting precedent right. that – you know, defamation by a president uh, about a, a matter of, of personal a personal matter 
that predated the presidency does not relate to the presidency and and Mm -hmm. she'll draw a line and you know people forget the clinton v jones case the one that went to the supreme court the one that george conway helped win Hmm. not only did it set a massive precedent but it cost bill clinton a pretty expensive settlement Mm -hmm. with paula jones you know i mean he lost his bar license he had to pay close to a million bucks so it remains to be seen. I mean, this is all about accountability, and everybody's been attacking this guy from all angles for five years, and here we are still wondering why don't we have accountability. Mm-hmm. I think it speaks to the need for more legislation. Now let's talk about the tax crimes, the New York stuff, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's just – it's never ending with this guy, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just how it is with criminal organizations. But uh, the tax stuff, the New York stuff, I, I would just be deathly afraid if I was him. <laughs> deathly afraid because i mean the, the state of new york and the new york authorities like they they don't get everything we know that mm-hmm. okay they're not they're not like a supervisory government like in everybody's office sitting there with a representative you know they're they're just like anywhere else in america mm-hmm. they they find something out they hear something they they do something about it right yeah but in the state of new york once they got their hooks in you <laughs> yeah. You're toast. Yeah. You're toast. You know, and we're finding out about how SDNY uh, you know, withheld uh, withstood the the storm. Um, did you read the book uh, I alone can fix it yet? No, I have not. So, I I took a few minutes to read it. It's about 500 pages and I think <laughs> that anybody who uh really 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 wants to know what's going on in this country needs to take a few minutes to do it yeah uh, we interviewed philip rucker on on the dorkin report podcast so it was it was solid homework as well as informational mm-hmm. reading <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah yeah uh it's, it's just a phenomenal revealing frightening harrowing yeah. true account um <sighs> of what's going on yes i want and, to read uh, it and it's kind of like freaking me out but i should just read it <laughs> like i'm, oh, ha- no, I've, been having, I've been having definitely. such a hard time recently i'd say i mean it's been tough for five years but in the last i'd say month and a half it's just i f- i feel overwhelmed with everything and i'm i'm really afraid of the direction we're going but anyway please get back to what you were saying oh yeah well <laughs> you know the the book is just filled with revealing moments about all this stuff yeah. by the way um, but not so much about the the tax case in New York. Um, but it's just like, I don't know. I, I it, like I feel like I just want to talk about that for a minute because it's just Go so many, it. like, holy cow! You know the yeah. the Joint Chiefs knew that this was the Reichstag moment. Yeah. I mean, think about what we've just been through. Mm-hmm. Like, this guy is set on a a path that he's been set on since day one. Mm-hmm. You know. Like, he wasn't kidding when he said he thought Hitler did some good things. Yeah. You know, he denies it. Right. But this is the path that we've been watching unfold for five years now, six years. Scary. It is. It's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was in the book. All, all this stuff was in that book. And, you know, I just – I give a huge shout-out to, to Phil Rucker and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Carol Lenick for – you know, bringing all this to light. I mean, yeah. I think it's it's weird because a lot of people go, oh, you know, that 
that book's not as exciting as the other one, but it's just, it's far more devastating. It's an objective journalistic account where they break down everything with people in the room, their notes, their, their calendars, their, you know, uh, emails, mm-hmm. you know, the, the officials that were in charge of the whole response. I, I just think that that's the biggest indictment that Trump will ever face. Mm-hmm. History is going to look back and say, this guy was the most rotten person to ever stand yeah. in Washington, D.C. Not most rotten president, not most, most rotten American, like most rotten person in the history of this country inside the seat of our capital. Yes, absolutely. 100%. And I think, I mean, I think a lot of us knew that very early on. And then it just kept getting worse. I mean, I know from my own experience, I remember thinking that when we heard the, you know, grab him by the pussy tape, I did say he's toast. I was wrong. Um, But then when I learned, I think it was short. I mean, Hillary talked about the Russians in the debates, but it didn't really... I didn't really understand what was going on until afterward and, you know, after he was already in office. And when it came out that Vladimir Putin was helping him, you know, it just I I was initially mostly afraid of what might happen with North Korea. But then that was trumped, no pun intended, by Russia. I used to freaking live in communist Russia. So I was there in 1981 and I couldn't believe what was happening. And I knew, you know, with all the intelligence agencies saying, yeah, this is what they did. Um, and we did learn that early on. I think that so many of us were recognizing very early that this guy was the worst person to, to, to be in Washington and to be in the White House. Yet there he was. And then the worst part about it is that he's got this huge, massive following. And he's been able to get the Republican Party to just bow to him. It's disgusting. And whether that's because he's got blackmail on him, whether it's because they're afraid they're going to lose without his support, or whatever the reason, you know, we, we, we saw... So many people like Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham bad-mouthing him in the beginning, and now they're all up his ass. And I just, I can't fucking get over it. I'll never get over it, as long as I live. And I, I feel like we're in this place where, um, you know, democracy is hanging by a thread, and every election from now on is going to be this, like, what are we going to, are we going to say, freaking me out because I don't trust the American people are going to realize it to the degree that they will. But getting back to the possibility of him going to jail for any reason, whether it's for tax fraud or or insurrection, what do you think, what effect do you think that's going to have on his base and just the Republican Party in general? And the reason I ask this is because obviously they're, you know, a huge voting block. And what, like, what will it mean for the bigger picture of this country if he goes to jail? Will they see him as a martyr? Will they forget about him? If they, and There are some who believe that, you know, seeing him screwing the government on taxes, including people in, which I don't know if this is, I would agree with this, but like some of his followers, the mega followers, that they would say, okay, that's a line that he went too far because I pay my taxes and he's not paying his taxes. So basically, what do you think, if he does go to jail, where does that leave the cult? Boy, I think it leaves the cult uh, singing the same tune, mm-hmm. and I'll tell you why. You ever hear of a man named Lyndon LaRouche? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, unfortunately I have. <laughs> yes, and he ran his campaign from jail after getting 
uh, convicted of federal crimes for a solicitation, uh, you know, wire fraud, whatever they mm -hmm. uh, convicted of. You know, it's been 30 years now, almost mm -hmm. um, more than 30 years. Uh, but yeah, he he ran for president from jail. He's the original American fascist. Mm -hmm. I actually read his biography many years ago. It's called The American Fascist. Hmm. And <clears throat> he was a member of the American Communist Party. Yep. He was wow. one of the 1950s communists, mm -hmm. uh, an idealist, blah, blah, blah. Then time passes and he splits from the movement and creates this. Uh, it's called the EIR, Executive Intelligence Report. And he was actually very involved with the Reagan administration. Hmm. Huh extremely involved have you ever heard of the strategic defense initiative no i have not uh you know there's a more popular name for it um it's uh <clears throat> there's there's some theme music for it uh but i'll just hum a few bars star wars yeah yeah, so Reagan's <clears throat> Star Wars initiative involved this guy quite a lot. Wow. Yeah, and um, not only did he run from uh, run for president from jail after he was convicted and jailed, and he was running that whole organization from jail, and then eventually he got out of jail and continued to run that organization until his death a year ago, I guess. Wow, I didn't know he was about a year ago. Yeah. But, of course, he moved to Moscow uh, in the last decade. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, my, so, um, oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, I, so I came across this this guy, uh, this guy, Lyndon LaRouche, and, mm -hmm. and I feel like he's an important figure because, you know, he is an Amer he was the American fascist, and then he, he moved to Moscow for <laughs> right. obvious reasons, you know, yeah. home of fascism. And, um, you know, I, I want to tell a little bit of the story about how I came across Lyndon LaRouche because it's actually quite interesting. It's part of a bigger story, a 50,000-word story that I wrote on my old news website, thesternfacts.com, which is still there. That's the website where my investigative reporting uh, exposed We Build the Wall and led to the multiple indictments of We Build the Wall and the collapse of the $25 million scam, Steve Bannon's indictment. Um, so I, I spent... 18 months, and I mean, we we actually continue to collect information. We have a third installment we'd like to publish one day. Um, but 18 months of investigation on an associate of the LaRouche organization, okay? Mm -hmm. And this is not, we didn't say, oh, this guy's an associate of the LaRouche organization. We're going to investigate him. It just, just so turned out that as we're, you know, investigating, all of a sudden, we found information about him and them, and anyway, uh, we found this Russian-American professor named Dr. Edward Lozansky, okay, a Soviet-American, actually, mm -hmm. uh, emigrated here from the Soviet Union in 1977, immediately uh, became involved in Republican politics mm -hmm. as a Soviet dissident seeking mm -hmm. to get the freedom of his wife, and... <clears throat> he created something called the, the Andre so the Sakharov or you know institution or something Sakharov uh, Foundation or whatever. I mean, he he you know is like the Nobel Peace Prize winning uh, dissident physicist physicist Sakharov. Mm -hmm. You know, um, Lozansky created his a Sakharov Foundation here in America, 
and he spent the better part of the next decade promoting it and becoming very close with a lot of influential Republicans. Hmm. Um, people you've probably heard of, mm -hmm. like Bob Dole and Jack Kemp. Oh, wow. Well, he was separated from his wife, so he got Dole and Kemp to marry him in absentia in the Capitol. I have a picture. Wow. Yeah. Um, he also became very good friends with Dana Rohrabacher, the mm -hmm. former California congressman. Mm -hmm. You know, the man who Politico called Putin's favorite congressman? Yeah. But only because they arm wrestled together. <laughs> um, so anyway, Dr. Ed also became friends with a fellow named Paul Weyrich. And he's not a very widely circulated name these days, uh, though he should be, because as a, a journalist and as an investigative journalist, I'm not your typical writer. I'm not just looking for a court document and telling the story of the document. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I do. Okay. I mean, everybody does, but uh, a lot of times what I'm looking for is more like history. I'm like more of, you know, an investigative journalist that's seeking to write history mm -hmm. by putting the pieces together that were right in front of everybody's faces, but scattered to the wind, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, Paul Weyrich is the man who created the term, the moral majority. He oh, wow. co-founded Heritage Foundation. He founded ALEC, the American Legislative Exchange Council, mm -hmm. which is, by the way, probably the most influential organization uh, out there when it comes to spreading uh, pro-business Republican ideas state by state instead of in the federal government. Yeah. They create a model bill. And, they, you know, you know how you see, like, Republicans always do this thing where, like, uh, something happens and so they create they pass a law in Missouri. And then they pass a law here and then they pass a law there. And all of a sudden, like 12 different laws. And now they're challenging everything in court and it's all on the same bent and they're all, you know, fighting on the same page. That's what Alec does. It mm -hmm. helps pass those laws. Hmm. Um, you know, he, it, this guy, Weyrich, created a lot of things. And Professor Lozanski became extremely close with him. Like, you know, hand in glove. Mm -hmm. um, you know, now that's like distant past right so you know we tracked what happened and through the 2000 you know the 80s the the reagan days I mean, this guy was pictured with ronald reagan in the white house he was in, this guy lozanski was involved in star wars as well okay and then in the 90s you know he's kind of out of power even though the the you know the russian uh federation was born um you know that, let's just say like this guy was lecturing at the sorbonne in paris Okay. Yeah. Pretty establishment. I mean, I would say once you're at the Sorbonne, you're yeah. considered establishment. Um, so this fellow in, in the early 2000s, pretty unhappy with Bush because Bush was a little different. But like, you know, there's like, uh, I mean, there's like a parade of Republican figures were associating themselves with him. Jeff Sessions, uh, Dennis Haystert, mm, right, the yeah. former Republican Speaker of the House. Yeah. Like, all these people were at this fellow's events, this Mr. Dr. Lasansky, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, and this is what I learned from researching him, by the way, just a big picture. Uh, the, the original sin in the U.S.-Russia relationship was the Iraq War. Russia never, or like, Putin specifically, but, you know, Putin never forgave America for breaking international order. Yeah. And said, well, if you guys can do it, we can do it. And what we're seeing today is all a reaction to that. It's yeah. still a reaction to that. They basically said, you said that you can wage offensive war because you feel like it. Mm -hmm. It's your choice. Yeah. Well, 
here's our choice, right? And this fellow Lozanski wrote a book for the Ministry of Foreign uh, Affairs, the MFA in Russia. Like, as in, he wrote a book, and the Ministry of Foreign Affairs published it with their publisher. Jeez. This book is in Russian, and to summarize the title of it, it's uh, Russian Ethnic Lobbying in the United States. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, indeed. Yeah. All of this stuff that you've seen, this is like the doctrine of it. Right, yeah. Okay? And Russians love to write doctrine. Mm-hmm. They, you know, <laughs> there's a movie uh, where, where someone said, Russians don't... Uh, don't fart without a plan. <laughs> <laughs> <It's true>. uh, <laughs> yeah. A- anyway, true. anyway, so, so this Dr. L, uh, you know, keeps sawing away. Um, he's a little bit more marginalized during the Bush year because he's pro Russia. And of course, like I said, Russia did not like this whole Iraq war. And then Obama shows up and oh. he becomes even more belligerent, but he's tied up with all these characters, you know, these Rohrabachers of the world. Uh, former Republican Congressman Kurt Weldon, who uh, fell under investigation by the U.S. Senate for Cambridge Analytica and for other activities. Um, and, and I'm reporting out this story, and it's just – it gets uh, – like every step of the way, you know, I'm looking to debunk my confirmation bias, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm, I'm interviewing people that are from the former Soviet Union about, you know, his particular backstory because his backstory is so weak, the – wife has been uh held from him and he's coming here to fight to get to reunite with his wife i mean look that alone you know a weird story by itself the whole thing his wife's uh his wife's or his father-in-law was a soviet general in charge of military preparedness that was nicknamed the the kgb general wow <laughs> and he fled to the United States and the the general, his father-in-law still got to stay general. That just doesn't happen. Yeah. It didn't happen in the Soviet Union era. So, so anyways, like we're, we're doing all this work. I mean, the, the series is 50,000 words. I'm just going to give you some, some highlights. Mm-hmm. Um, by following him, I put together the pieces with Maria Butina mm-hmm. and some of my reporting that came out before her indictment wound up in her indictment. Um, yeah, uh, we got a really good picture of Torsh, Alexander Torshin, the you know the, in, the Putin's emissary to the NRA, yeah. Butina and Scott Walker, for example. Yes, right, right. Um, yeah, uh, so we put all the, the pieces together about what Powell Manafort was doing in 2005 through this. Um, it was just like once we opened this lens, we could see everything that these people have been doing for many years that had led up to what we're doing. And, and I'm going to bring it back to Lyndon LaRouche and then I'm going to give you the chilling, chilling, chilling conclusion, which we found at the beginning, (laughs) which we found in our first round of reports, but became a lot more relevant as we've been seeing over the last couple of years. So this fellow, Dr. Lazansky, you know, we're, we're doing our first round of reports, right? And we did a 10 part story. I asked him for comment on Twitter. Right. And he responded. He didn't respond to everything, but he did give a response. Okay. Uh, You know, he said it was fair. Well, you know, I'm here to be fair. Um, So we're researching all this stuff and I come across this article 
in the Lennon LaRouche archives, the executive intelligence report from 1984, all right, calling him a, a KGB spy or a GRU spy, mm -hmm. right? Like they called him a spy in this Lennon LaRouche thing. So I called up the LaRouche organization thinking this is the kind of unusual bunch of folks that probably has every scrap of paper yeah. filed in a cabinet. I mean, these people were nothing if not meticulous, and the, they were there during the paper days. And, and by the way, the you know the paper in the cabinet, for example, we we raided ten different university archives for this these reports, wow. and in the University of Rochester alone, for example, we found out that uh, Sakharov, you know, Dr. Lozanski's original cover story, Sakharov's wife said they'd never heard of him, never met him didn't know who he was pretty much, you know, kicked him out of using the, the Sakharov's name. I mean, imagine, yeah. you know, the, the guy's cover story. We broke it. Wow. We broke it. <laughs> so we, you know, I call up, you know, we're chasing every lead. So I call up the, the LaRouche people and I say, Hey, do you guys think that you have something in the archives? I read this report and I'm a reporter. I'm just looking for the story and, they talked to me for like 30 minutes. I mean, the woman was nice as can be. Oh, did you know the British imperialists? That's their conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. Did something or other. And I, you know, I wrote an email. And then she said, oh, we'll get it for you. Don't worry. I'll look it up right now. And just send us this email. We'll get back to you. And I start, you know, like corresponding, like, hey, you know, email, nothing back. Mm -hmm. Another email, nothing back call no answer finally you get an email back from them and it's like don't ever talk to us again you wow. communist spy oh my god <laughs> and i'm like okay you know that this is this is not unusual right? Yeah, right i mean this could happen it's not a big deal you know these are this is a pretty obscure sect i pretty much figured like i was asking them about something deeply unimportant from 35 years ago and they probably had it lying around mm -hmm. and it just wouldn't matter to them so we went public with the story, and I want to tell you a, a little bit about what we reported in the story, not the whole thing, but a little bit because it's so important. Um, and we go public with the story. I mean, we're talking – it was like Labor Day weekend. We put out 10 parts, 25,000 words hmm. of this. Uh, yeah, I mean, we really, really worked hard to report this meticulous long-format story. And two weeks later, the Lyndon LaRouche organization – put out a press release on behalf of Dr. Lozanski. Oh, my God. The Moscow-Russia-based mm -hmm. organization. Mm -hmm. Now, let me tell you a little bit about what we found in that first report and why it's so concerning and why it should concern everybody. And this is why deep-dive investigative journalism is so important. Yeah. I mean, I would just do that and nothing else if I could right, right now. Right, yeah. Or at least that and little else i right, mean yeah. the the you know the podcast and video production that i do is so important to get these stories out rapidly to a big audience um to explain them you know to to give people a platform for other journalism uh you know i work very closely with scott dork and we have some amazing stories coming up a philip rucker interview on the Dorkin report mm -hmm. we interviewed reality winners entire family that's coming up next that's gonna be phenomenal wow, but that'll be cool yeah this is like if it wasn't for this, reporting this particular story, I would never have been prepared for what had happened, what, what did come down next, right? So this fellow, Dr. Lozanski, 
Um, he has what I would just generally generously term a fake university, mm -hmm. uh, just as fake as Trump U, uh, called the American University in Moscow. Um, you know, you can look at the reporting, uh, thesternfacts.com, if you want to see how fake it is. <laughs> but uh, we traced his his uh, location, well, his reported locations in Moscow. You know, his self-reported locations. We looked at the phone books there. Mm -hmm. You know, the generally open directories. And then we looked at, like, you know, who is at the, those locations. And then we cross-referenced it with, like, who else is there, you know. This is an important journalistic technique for anybody out there that's that's doing research, which is that when you find an address, you have to find, like, everything at the address. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could have 10 companies headquartered at one address, and that might tell you something based on the public records of those 10 companies, right? That's just – it's very typical stuff. Yeah. Well – What's an address? What is in an address? Um, this fellow, Dr. Lazansky, in 2016, his university was co-located with one of Vladimir Putin's propagandists in central Moscow. And that propagandist happened to be one of the faces of the eastern Ukraine propaganda mm. campaign. Yeah. The Gray War, the hybrid war. I mean – there's no greater telltale than that. This guy was literally keeping office space with somebody who was fighting an actual war as a propagandist. Like he was running a faction Jesus. in eastern Ukraine. Yeah. It, the, the, yeah. So, I mean, the, you know, that's how we established this guy's deep bona fides yeah. with the, the Putin regime. And he went on television in the Caucasus you know, like near, like Sochi, like mm -hmm. that, near that area. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, way out in, in the sticks in Russia in February of 2016 to say that Donald Trump would be really good as president, uh, you know, but he thought Hillary would win as long as the FBI didn't get her. Mm -hmm. But he would be fine because he had Dana Rohrabacher advising him mm -hmm. and Michael Flynn. Now, wow. we spent That's months, yeah. this is in the spring of 2017, we spent months tracking down who knew what. In other words, like, who knew on that date that Michael Flynn would be a campaign advisor mm -hmm. to Donald Trump? Yeah. Right? Who knew? <laughs> well, I can tell you right now, the only people that knew were some anonymous sources for Reuters. This guy could have been one of them, for all we know. Wow. It wouldn't. It's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, NPR and BBC were interviewing him at the time, right? So this guy was not like a, a secret at all. Like yeah. a lot of people looked at him like a very important Russian uh, American voice in our our political uh, lexicon mm -hmm. at the time. Uh, but he he went on this TV channel to say that he was creating a stars and stripes revolution along the lines of the color revolutions in Eastern Europe. And that is another thing that Republicans, I'm sorry, yeah. Russians. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> easy to interchange. Well, you know, it's the lines blur eventually. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, but that's another thing that Russia blames America for heavily, which is the color revolutions. Mm -hmm. They're very, 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 very upset about those, and they blame America entirely. Mm -hmm. As if the people of the the Russian-speaking former Soviet states 
don't have some sort of free will and wish to not be dominated by Russia. Um, you know, and I can't speak. I didn't investigate our involvement with, you know, the Maidan and mm -hmm. the, you know, the Orange Revolution and all that stuff. But this guy said it. It's it's right there on tape. Wow. And we reported it four years ago. Hmm. You know, he said Trump will be fine because he's got Rohrabacher and Flynn. Nobody knew about Rohrabacher three days later issued what I'd call a non-denial denial. Mm -hmm. He didn't deny anything. He didn't respond directly or anything like that. But he went uh, to the, I guess it was the Washington Free Beacon or Washington Examiner or Washington mm -hmm. Times, yeah. probably the Washington Times. Mm. Uh, this guy, Edward Lozanski, is still a columnist for the Washington Times, by the way. Wow. A, a very dubious Jesus. publication. Yes. Yeah, the Washington Times was owned by the Moonies for yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Um, the World Anti-Communist League. Um, those guys are like a hotbed of fascism. Uh, anyway, uh, so... <laughs> You know, Rohrbacher uh, gave comments a few days later saying uh, Nancy Reagan would never approve of Donald Trump. Nothing about him, but, no. you know, that that's the subtlety of public relations that yeah. these people are doing. Wow. And, um, yeah, it, it's just uh, like to, to see it on screen, the, the Russian propagandist, the guy who was holding annual meetings inside the Hart building the Senate Hart office building for decades. Jeez. That's just okay. so frightening. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And I mean, where we ended up with part two of our series, this is how we got to 25,000 words. Um, where we ended up with part two of our series is that we, you know, we did a huge, I mean, the second part is like, all, like the first part is all uh, basis and the second part is all conclusions mm -hmm. and action and you know stuff about len blavatnik the the russian american oligarch who uh gave seven million dollars to uh marco rubio and uh you know mitch mcconnell's packs um dimitri symes you remember hearing about him at all no that name doesn't ring a bell but that well mean uh, let's so just say that uh he was ex you remember the center for national interest and the mayflower meeting the big mayflower yes, yes, hotel yes. Mm -hmm. uh you know meeting that everybody was talking about yeah. because the russian ambassador and trump met there mm -hmm. dimitri symes ran that organization oh, wow, still does yeah. it's called the center for national interest um symes we exposed him to the point where uh he was basically very obviously an agent of the Russian state and a Russian uh, professor named Yuri Felshtinsky uh, writing for Gordonia USA, I'm sorry, Gordonia UA, uh, the Ukrainian publication. Um, but Felshtinsky came out and he basically confirmed and, you know, aggregated our writing and then added like one extra fact that this guy was sent to America by the person who founded the modern SVR, the foreign intelligence uh, operation of russia and symes fled to russia he took a job on russia channel one after our reporting um after the second installment of this series that we wrote wow. yeah i mean so so like yeah it's just you know <laughs> because it's crazy but the fact of the matter is is that russia could build a gas station put it on a highway in front of you and then manage to convince you that it's not there right, just yeah, with words, exactly. hiding it in plain sight. These mm -hmm. motherfuckers are yeah. geniuses. They really are. <laughs> they really are. They, and yeah, I yeah, was, they are. 
And, uh, and, and all I can say about this is uh, I, I hope that people go check out the sternfacts.com and, and read some of our reporting in there, uh, the backstory of what you've been seeing out there. It's there. And this stars and stripes revolution, we're seeing it play out right now. Let's yeah. just reference the first part of this podcast. You have half of America that mm-hmm. is like, we're vaccinated. Mm-hmm. We're on point. We're, we're America. We're going to resume being America. And then you have half America that's like, we don't know what to believe. Yeah. There's your stars and stripes revolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it, sometimes I wish that I didn't have that experience of living in, in Moscow when I was 12 years old. And it's like I, I was so appreciative of it. And it really did teach me the meaning of patriotism. But it, the fact that I lived there and I saw what it could be like you know, and under different leadership or whatever, you know, under different uh, rulers. There it's the rulers, scary. they rule. And yeah, it's fucking so scary. And I, there are so many people in this country who, you know, they're just doing their thing. They're going to work, they're paying their bills, they're trying to make ends meet, and they don't know all these details. And they're going by sound bites, headlines, what they hear their friends say, what meme they see on Facebook, and it's just... Uh, oh my god so before i let you go i just want to get your quick take on how you're feeling about 2022 and 2024 i always ask this of everybody so i want to get your your take on that i'm pretty worried about 2022 Mm -hmm. i'll be honest Mm -hmm. um democrats have all the the problems of achieving some power Mm -hmm. and i don't see that anybody has come up with the solution to those problems uh complacency uh, you know, people uh, pursuing their own agendas and, and leaving the group agendas. Um, you know, the, the White House has such a mammoth, uh, monumental task in, in governing the country right now that they are struggling to keep up with the political side of things, mm-hmm. but they're doing better than the Obama administration did, I think, by far, mm-hmm. um, in the sense that they're not they're not trying to say, well, we're going to govern without politics at all. Mm-hmm. I think there has to be some of that involved, um, but they could do better on other fronts. I can tell you in South Florida in particular, uh, we're very concerned right now. And the concern is not the White House itself. Um, the concern is that the Democratic Party, uh, you know, didn't use the last four years mm-hmm. as effectively as they could have in all places. In places like Wisconsin, it galvanized them, mm-hmm. right? But in, in places like Florida, um, you had this establishment that, you know, used the energy, did what they could, you know, did this or that, but didn't really take advantage of it. And Florida in particular, I'm calling out because we've got probably the worst party chair in the, the country. Mm-hmm. I would say that, you know, Democrats really screwed the pooch on this one. Hmm. They probably elected the most corrupt person in Florida, and that may even include Trump, hmm. scary enough to say. Yeah. So I'm not optimistic about 2022 at all. I would say that if you want to use some despair to fuel your, your fire, use it for 2022 because it's it's problematic right hmm. now. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, that doesn't – you know. Let, let me just say this also um, – you know, the speaker's office did so much and they did so much last year that people are just starting to appreciate this year, yeah. including building the whole legislative platform of the party. The party did not do that. OK, the party made a platform in 2016 
They made another one this past year, but she got the legislation passed last year already. And that really became the platform. Like people said, what about uh, Biden's policies? I'm like, Biden's policies don't matter. The speaker's policies mm-hmm. matter because she can pass them. Yeah. And she has. Right. And it's given the party a platform to negotiate with. And the fact of the matter is, is that Speaker Pelosi is going to win the checkbook war. It's not a question of if, it's a question of she's been doing it for four years. Even when she was in the minority, she won every budget uh, negotiation. Even in, in with no leverage whatsoever, she still won all those negotiations. Mm-hmm. And the Democratic Party in the House is going to win every one of those if the, the Blue Dogs, and they so far seem to, uh, if the Blue Dogs cooperate. I mean, at this point, what you're seeing between like AOC in public is just trying to nudge things in one direction mm-hmm, or another, mm-hmm. but that's what we got going for us in 2022. We're going to, we're going to be able to build on that. Right. But if the election was held tomorrow, yeah. it would not be pretty. Yeah. Well, we've got okay? a lot of work ahead of us. That's for sure. And I think that massive. Yeah. And, and I think that we all have to be uh, acutely aware and hyper aware of all of this because it, it didn't end in 2020, you know, it just, and in 2018, we had the motivation of a madman as president. And so, you know, I mean, I know when you go back in history and you say, okay, midterms are usually not as, um, not as many come out to vote and all that. Well, in 2018, we did see general election turnout, but that's because Trump was there motivating voters. And right now, I think it needs to be the Republican Party motivating voters because what they're doing is just fucking heinous. So anyway... Um, I just want to say thank you. Yeah, and then 2024, I mean, listen, it's so far over the horizon, but if if, uh, if everything is status quo in 2024, even if something happens in 2022, like 2024, you could be optimistic. I mean, yeah. Democrats do show up for general elections, yes, as we do. have known. And keeping the White House is of the most importance, as you can mm-hmm. see from the last four years, the president can do things. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're going to keep that White House, uh, you know, shining for at least another seven years by my calculations. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's not going to be so shiny if the House and the, exactly. the Senate are flipped and yeah. the Senate is on a razor's edge right now. And, you know, just one last thought for people that are like criticizing uh, Mansion and cinema, like, guys, please turn the fire on the Republicans. Give them some honey. Say nice things. <laughs> Just be nice to them. Well, I, I got to say. Google Jim Jeffords and then say nice things to Cinema and Mansion. Cinema, though, wore that ring that told us all to fuck off. And um, yeah, yeah. And Jim Jeffords did the same thing. And, you know, he did tell his party to fuck off. Wow. Back in 2001. And George W. Bush uh, entered office with a triple majority. And he didn't enter his first midterm with a triple majority. Yeah. Jim Jeffords. Google him. Okay. Well, oh my God. Well, thank you for coming on the show. You have some really interesting and unique information to share with people. So um, I definitely send, I mean, everybody go over to, now, okay, you you mentioned quite a few websites. I'm going to have you mention them again. But I just want you to know that I did put uh, Grant's uh, website in the Patreon description as well as his Twitter handle. Um, So why don't you tell everybody all the other links to go to? Okay, so uh, the CernFacts.com I've mentioned quite a lot because it's got a lot of my older investigative journalism from 2017 through 19. Yeah. Um, a little bit from more recently. Uh, then there's GrantStern.Substack.com. Go there, sign up. It's free. 
the free sign up to get the emails. You know, I want to keep most of the journalism on there free, but mm -hmm. the subscribers get uh, little tidbits in advance right. here. Um, you know, what's going on there. Like the, even the free subscribers get a little bit of advance compared to the the paid guys who the paid guys, I gave them like a little snippet of the FDLE story. So they, mm -hmm. they're more aware. Um, then there's DworkinReport.com, D-W-O-R-K-I-N report.com. That's the podcast that I produced with Scott Dworkin. It's going to be pretty awesome this week. <laughs> <laughs> Mosey on down there. You'll enjoy it, I promise. Yes. Uh, and, of course, OccupyDemocrats.com, WashingtonPress.com. I'm the executive editor of both of those. Awesome. Uh, so, you know, I do actually put a lot of my work these days in there. I'm not work, uh, doing as much day-to-day -day, uh, news analysis journalism, but you can get daily news analysis right there and opinion and everything else you need to know. And I write the investigative stories for that, uh, those two outlets uh, pretty much exclusively. So, you know, that's, again, another free place that I put my work. I try to make sure that everybody can read uh, what I'm up to. Grantstern.com has uh, links to everything um, pretty much. Awesome. <laughs> and, of course, the books. You can find them on Amazon, uh, Meet the Candidates 2020, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has been actually a hot seller. Mm -hmm. The Elizabeth Warren <laughs> uh, Kindle book yeah. is – in the top 60,000 on Kindle, awesome. which I think means people are really buying it because yeah. there's millions and millions of books out there. Yeah. Um, and you know, they're, they're two years old now, but I got to tell you, like they're political biographies. We wrote them for history. They're, they're timely, even if uh, the policy section may not be as timely today. Mm -hmm. uh, but we have the, the candidate biographies, the analysis of their campaign, um, their, their strengths and weaknesses. Um, I think that, I had Jennifer Rubin. No, she, no. Well, like the, the, the series features interviews with amazing uh, columnists like Jennifer Rubin from the Washington Post, uh, uh, investigative journalist Mark Caputo from Politico, uh, Nolan McCaskill from Politico, uh, Mark Thompson from Make It Plain. Um, you know, it, I know it's been a couple of years, guys, but uh, they're on sale. So you might as well get one now and learn what you didn't learn then. Um, all I can say is, is that if you had read those books, all six of them, especially if you have written them, you would have had a really good idea what's going on in the democratic primary. <laughs> wow. And yes, I wrote all about the busing thing. Okay. Oh, right. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. Oh no, the, the goal with those books was really to, to, flesh out everything in an objective fashion about all these candidates. And I think it's still really interesting because they're all players. Uh, yeah. Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Mm -hmm. uh, we did a great, great, great investigative deep dive on Mayor Pete. And, um, you know, love it if your listeners uh, moseyed on over and took a look. Very cool. Well, you can find me on Twitter at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. What, um, what is your handle on Twitter? I am at Grant Stern. Grant like the dead president, Stern like the DJ. Not related to you. <laughs> Very cool. And then, of course, I have books, too, on Amazon. Go check them out. And if you do get any of our books, please leave a review if you like it, because authors always need reviews, and so do podcasters. So wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Thank you, Grant, so much for being on the show. Real eye-opening and interesting. Thank you for having me, Kimberly. It's been a pleasure, finally, to speak with you after yes, all know. these years of chatting on Twitter. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Well, you have a good day. And again, happy birthday. Thank you. Have a great one.